What's up, nerds? Welcome back to Region Free. Uh, this week, we're debating a topic uh, that Blake Hester just brought up. Is this the most important movie that we've covered yet? I mean, we're just hopping right into it. I Yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, what all have we watched? It's not my favorite movie we've watched by any means, but like, I feel like historically into the, the history of anti-war art, and maybe a film writ large... Mm-hmm. This has got to be the most important movie we've watched. Like, you going to tell me what fucking uh, Triad Wars is more important? <laughs> what did we watch? Jo- Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Triad? Triad Under, Triad colon Underworld. Um, yeah, between which of those two films is more important? I wish I could, I wish I could dig up Roger Ebert and ask him to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Do you think Roger Ebert saw Triad Underworld? No, but there's a chance. What do you think? So we like Roger Ebert, right? He's cool now, yeah. Cool now because he's dead. I guess he's not pop. That's a slippery. He's not slope. popping off. It's he's a not slip- popping off about video games anymore. He's back. He's back in my good graces. Uh, I think he had the correct take on video games. I think he was. Well, how do you? What do you think, Robert Roger Ebert would feel about the Super Mario Brothers movie? I was gonna do a joke. Okay, how do you? Th- how do you think this would have been for an intro of the episode? Um. Okay. Hey, what's up, nerds? Welcome back to Region Free. Today we're talking about one of the most influential and disturbing pieces of cinema ever made. That's right. The right. Super Mario Brothers movie in theaters now. <laughs> that would have been good. It would have been good. Here's the thing. I think Roger Ebert would have... It would have been like a curveball. Like, he would have been weirdly into it in the same way I'm into it, where it's like, what the fuck do you weird nerds want? It's a kid's movie, and it's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that would have been his review. It's like, shut up weirdos it's a fun movie your kids are gonna love him and, i that's what i yeah. think him and him and gene would have gotten into it i think they depict who's who's the who's the guy from the uk that likes movies a lot <laughs> he reviews them i mean lots of dudes in the uk like movies commode mark kermode like uh, <laughs> yeah. i call it commode mark uh, the the kermode and mayo show honestly yeah that was very That's good. one of the first podcasts I ever listened to and is very mm. important in terms of me getting into movies a lot more. Like really? one of like the first podcasts I mean, ever that I would it was that that and Mark I, Marin for me. I mean the thing the thing that's like impressive about those dudes compared to like uh, sorry Sean and Amanda the big picture is like they're a show of that size that leaves no stone unturned. Yeah. Like, they review everything. Like, niche films, you know, foreign films. I guess in their country, foreign films. Foreign films are only foreign in certain places. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it, they're not just talking about, like, whatever A24 Marvel put out that week. Like, most big TV podcasts. Like, I really respect them maintaining for decades like committing to like being as all-encompassing as possible and i know they have a, a bigger crew that helps out with that than just yeah. the two guys but like i i really respect the work they do um no shade to the big picture but i don't know watch more movies that americans didn't make yeah and 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 for as much as kermode knows about films as well you always get the sense that like it's just his job because he's a music man by trade. So he like has a fucking band oh, and stuff and like he's written books That's about sick. music and it's just kind of like, oh, then I clock into the office and pop off about Transformers 6 for 45 minutes. He's also a sicko too. Like he he likes some sick shit. I mean, shit. that's definitely like, I know he was how one I of, got he turned was on one... to some horror stuff in like 2011. Yeah. 
And he was, I think, um, an early critic, definitely not the first, you know, that might have been Tom Mess, but like, um, he was an early proponent of like Miike's, you know, more sick. transgressive shit like audition. Um, anyway, you, what movie did we watch? Yeah, this week we are talking about Come and See. Uh, D's nuts. Come on. Come on, man. How do like how do you how do you watch this movie and that's your your uh instant takeaway? Uh because when I was a kid I fucking dropped on my head really mm. hard and I got this weird brain damage. Mm. That, well, yeah. Let you know to 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 transition us back in talking about bad things happening to children. Uh this is the the 1985 film by I should have looked up how to say LM Klimov. Um Mm-hmm. Which has recently undergone another round of reappraisal or even rediscovery. I think. Well, I think you know there are some films that are just generational. Mm-hmm. You know, like every generation has to see it. Like a cliche one is two thousand one, but even like something like Halloween, I feel like is a generational film. Like it will just hit every single generation, and this feels like one to a lesser degree. You know, it's not going to be as wide seen as any Kubrick or John Carpenter well, film, but like it does feel like every. Well, I say that, and then the like sales numbers from when this thing came out were like pretty astronomical, right? It it like, definitely hit on its initial release, and I want to talk about mm-hmm. its place in the 80s for sure but yeah, yeah. i want i want i guess to get just the- point being it, it it feels like it comes up every like five to ten mm. years where new pe- folks in their 20s are like hey wait a second come and see what these nuts i think i will there was a new release or a new restoration released in 2017 yeah. for venice film festival and then criterion mm-hmm. got the rights and i think you know around then is when people of our generation or our ilk, like a new wave of film fans around the world perked up to this thing, discovered it, sought it out. It was a part of, like it was first distributed by Kino Lorber, Janus Films. It was Mm -hmm. on Filmstruck for a while. So I think it's one of those things that always kind of appeared on lists and had a reputation. It's like, this thing is disturbing. This thing is intense. It's of a piece with films like, the Deer Definitely. Hunter, Apocalypse Now, uh, other movies like that as these big, like, immersive war epics. But, like, mm-hmm. at the at the time of recording, uh, like, it's the number one highest rated film on Letterboxd in history. What? Yes. Uh, that's, like, <laughs> no that's shit. part of the... Re- like, fuck you, Parasite. Fuck you, The Godfather. Fuck you, Seven Samurai. This is the number one um and so can we talk about this i don't know what we're talking about yeah yeah is it okay if i just have a Uh moment how many years has it been since parasite four yeah 2019 a bit overrated right like we all were we were gassing up a little too much right i think it's like pretty perfectly rated I think it's not even his best movie I, I by a considerable you. amount. I think Memories of Murder. And so better. that's the weird thing is like it, it's important in terms of like getting new eyes to like South Korean cinema the same way something like Old Boy mm. was, you know, 20 years ago. But it's like I just think 
it's not as good as we made it out to be while also still being great i just think it's like you watch memories of murder and it's like you never want to see parasite again it's like that's the bong joint for the rest of your life you know what i'm saying yeah okay a very weird like line of synthesis here but i think part of it is that the the stuff that year at the oscars that seemed like it was gonna win was just so dog water oh that was like it yeah 1917 would have been the big winner i think which i thought about while watching this movie Uh, which is why it draws it and connects but like um so then when parasite like swept it was kind of like oh cool an actually very good movie that's neither here nor there i don't want (laughs) to act like i don't want to act like i hate parasite i think that movie's really good i just think we i just think we give it more credit than it deserves (laughs) It's like, it's not, it, it's a little long, kind of bloated, it has some pacing There's issues. like, yeah, the, the flood scene, kind of. Yeah. Um, as soon as, uh, as soon as uh, Jamie Lee Curtis won that Oscar for everything ever all at once, I was like, overrated movie. We've done too much here now. But, look, yeah, just to say, this is a podcast, kind of a show about watching an individual movie and discussing it. I think as much as I kind of intend mm-hmm. for it to be a discussion about like how we watch movies and how we come to them. It's in the name of the show. And we always try to like seek out stuff that was either out of print or got sort of reappraised is, is yeah. underrated or underseen for one reason or another. So in terms of, is this the most watched film that we've covered even so far? Probably not. Does it hold the most influential place in history? Maybe even not, but like well, it, I, I feel like I feel like yeah. yeah. I think that one I think this one gets it. Yeah. And it's it's one that you and I have both been putting off for a while. This was my first time watching it. Exactly. Did you feel like it was one of those films you just put in the part of your brain where it's like, it's going to be great, so I'll get to it when I get to it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not a question mark. So it's like you put films before it because you're like, obviously, that's going to be a perfect movie. I'll mm. get to it. Like, I've never seen The Godfather for that same reason. It's like, I'll it kind of it, it kind of does it's, slap. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know I, I have mean? a mental shelf in which I categorize stuff like this. And occasionally I will bust it open or pull things down from that shelf mm. just to say, you know, it's a nice night. I got nothing to do. Maybe yeah. tonight I'm finally going to watch X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. This has been one that's been on that shelf for a very long time. And so I definitely jumped at the opportunity to watch it and discuss it. Yeah, I had seen a lot of the iconic imagery and screen grabs from this going around a lot. It has a very iconic frame of the young actor's face, several of them actually, which we're going to spend a good good amount of time talking about. So I knew the sort of general, I don't even want to say beats, but kind of like I knew the setup and what was going to happen and kind of got an idea of the structure of the film and where things were going. Right. Which then, even so, was kind of unprepared for just how wandering, meandering almost the film is. Like very, follows a very sort of rigid like not real time, but sort of A to B structure that I maybe didn't like anticipate as much, but it is a very kind of intense and harrowing and close knit, like zoomed in journey. It really just is following this one kid and his uh, miserable, profound experience through World War II in the the Belarusian countryside as the Nazis are encroaching. Um, It's, 
a harrowing film that earns its reputation as this kind of disturbing picture, not for any gratuitous or extreme content, but just a sort of stew and soup of horrible, horrible vibes, for lack of a better word. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, I don't know if endurance test is the right word, but it's like, it's a two hour and 20 minute Mm -hmm. film of, of bad vibes. And I think it earns the bad vibes, you know, they don't feel cheap by any means. Uh, But it does like kind of test you in a way to be like, can you really sit through this? Like, can you deal with this? And like, it, it, it doesn't reach a fever pitch until the end. And then the last 40 minutes are like next to nothing else in terms of just like, Hey, here it is, man. Like deal with it. I think is like kind of an impressive feat of that film to just like really commit to never breaking the tension. Once it starts, Mm. you know, there is some levity in the earlier parts of the films that are nice, but once that's gone, it's like, I mean, at what point did you think this kid was going to have a good time after this, you know? And it, like, kind of forces you as the viewer to confront that. It's much more psychologically focused than a lot of war movies are. I don't know if going into it I was Mm. expecting, like, full-on onslaught of violence and and death and gore. But the the parts Mm. of this film that really affect me are those dreamlike states where everything sort of appears naturalistic and whether it's the sound design or the art direction or just the performances you're getting this crushing sense of unease and dread and inescapable torment which pervades a good chunk of the entire film again until like you mentioned it really does kind of take that turn into what is essentially a drawn out climactic raid not even a bat like there's one battle air quotes battle sequence in this movie which is directed really well but it just furthers like the futility and the senselessness of all the violence with those lasers like shooting across the field just like beams of light um it's it's hey yeah did you know those were real bullets those are tracer rounds that's insane like there's so much of this movie that looked so impressive and we've already kind of talked a little bit about off mic hard to fake and really questioning how this was made and how they captured it all they i think the answer is they they made it in a country without a film union probably because good lord like like this this is just one of those movies like europe can make that america can't like just the simple moment when a woman is literally dragged by her hair for about 20 feet it's like they shouldn't have done that. Mm. That sucks. Yeah. Like that. That there, there's no way around that. That hurt as bad as it looked like it did. But it's also like it's effective. And uh, you know, America. You can't. You can't. There are certain countries where unions have been put into place, and they have very good agreements that mean you can't put your actors through shit like this. At- like firing uh, tracer rounds <laughs> over a child's head. And it's not like this was an easy movie to make, even in uh, right. the Soviet Union, as it took like eight years for the script to get fully approved and there was an ongoing back and forth battle about the kind of stuff that they could show and and display in there. They ended up actually pretty much getting to make the movie they wanted to make, uh, which is pretty neat. Except except for one key distinction, which I was excited to learn that the 
original title of the film was going to be Kill Hitler, which is the coolest title a movie could ever have. And, uh, yeah, I, it's, so, so what do you think is the reason behind not wanting to do that? Because this came out in the 80s. It's not like it came out in 49, mm. you know, like it's the 80s. Everyone was on the same page. Do you think it's just, do you think it's too charged? Like these days, you, uh, Neon or A24, yeah. they put out a movie called Kill Hitler and everybody be like, that's fun. You know what I'm and saying? And the reviews would all be like, look, you get exactly what you're promised. It's a movie called Kill Hitler. Taika Waititi, yeah. he did it again. I was fucking, I, God damn you for making me think about Jojo Rabbit because I already was thinking about it at the end of this movie. What, that anime? <laughs> Jesus anime Christ. everyone likes with the nice dress dudes. <laughs> what, what is that one? Jojo's oh, bizarre, bizarre adventure. Bizarre, yeah, his bizarre adventure is he's friends with Hitler and that fucking thing. Uh, yeah, how do how do we feel about Taika Waititi? That movie, Jesus, like talk about a movie called Kill Hitler. How about a movie that's Hitler was nice and he's my friend? Because <laughs> oh, that's what that yeah. shit is. God, um, goddamn. Like, I I think the change of the title is is both two hands that maybe it's too charged and also look as we're just setting up, it's promising a very different film. They do not in this film kill Hitler. They don't even resolve World War II and its key conflicts in a satisfying matter. Um, so, you know, if you if you pack a theater full of people expecting to see a film called Kill Hitler, and then you get this. You know what's interesting about this movie is like... Not a lot. There wasn't much to chew on at all. That's kind of why we're burning the... I'm gonna blow past this moment. <laughs> <laughs> is... Okay, I don't want to downplay any real-world suffering of any people, but in the grand scheme of things, what happens to the people in this film is not even a letter in a history mm. book in terms of like, okay, that's not true. Like, it, it actually is. This is based on a yeah, real th- there's raid a, on a there's village. A, but the like, title card at the end of the film setting up exactly how many villages yeah. were destroyed, but yeah. in the... So I want to take that back. But, like, this is not the type of events movies are based off of. This is what I'm Precisely. To say you know, this is not like, you know, the, the, the this doesn't take place on the beaches of Normandy or in Pearl Harbor or in Berlin. This is a village of maybe, and I'm talking about the crescendo here. Yeah. You know? Like, it ends in a village of, I would guess, 100 At people. At the maximum. You yeah. know, these are these are not the things that are filling history books in world of uh, when we write about world war ii and yet the film smartly because you know it 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 takes the position that it's like all human suffering is bad whether it's an atrocity of forty thousand, you know in a giant european city or a small village and it smartly focuses that onto this intimate tight-knit community and shows the you know the, the the viciousness and the terribleness of Nazism at this time and what they did to people, rather than just kind of being like, yeah, so the Nazis are bad. We all know that anyway. Here's a bunch of like Saving Private Ryan. Shit. Yeah, it, you know what I'm saying. Like, I think that's kind of the genius of some of this. And, film. and that's a really great thing to point out uh, is that it is essentially a film sort of plucked from the footnotes of history where. If you're yeah. reading a World War II textbook or something like that, it's a paragraph at most about, and then the Germans pushed into this one part of the Soviet 
you know, landscape for this extended winter campaign and then the next thing happened. Um, this really yeah, zooms I mean, in like... and, and adapts the day-to-day life of that. And there's a story that happens even before the film has begun that I find pretty interesting mm-hmm. and, again, just, like, really crushing. Wait, what do you mean? Well, before the film? Yeah, kind of about setting up the main desire for uh Fleora, it's going to be hard for me to pronounce that consistently, uh, yeah, but yeah, kind yeah. of about okay. how the men of his village, including his father, have gone off to war, and, right. and him and his buddy have to go dig through the corpses in this field yeah. to get guns and coats so they can be drafted into the resistance. I uh, I think, you know, <laughs> this shows, A, uh, the, the priorities of the American educational system, and B, perhaps just my own ignorance, but it's like, I grew up in America. I learned about World War II and the Archdiocese of Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> and up until yesterday, I was like, I had never even thought, what was Belarus doing during World War II? You know what I'm saying? Like, World War II, in my educational history, is the Pacific and uh, Pearl Harbor, big bomb, kill Hitler, a cyanide. Yeah. And then it was over. It was real. It only lasted like uh, seven pages hmm. of I, your history. I wonder book. why. What's the uh, kind of consistent factor <laughs> yeah. in all of that? Is it is it a big country that starts with the letter A? I'm I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, uh, World War. Uh, the name World War implies uh, the globe. Much of the world. And so I, it, yeah, it's good. It's good for dummies like me in Minneapolis to watch this movie and have to, <laughs> you know, think about like, oh yeah. <laughs> This shit happened. We should work harder on making sure this shit doesn't happen in our country in 2023. We're losing that fight. Let's let's try and walk through this thing as best as we can. There's not... I mean, there's a, there's a lot of plot in terms of things that happen, but much of it is kind of about the mise-en-scene and living in it. Um, so we'll kind of like look at some of the key moments. But even the opening, mm-hmm. which we were just getting into, is is pretty stark. And I think... I really liked, it just sort of took me aback, the first shot and line of dialogue in this film is a man staring directly into camera and the first words out of his mouth are uh, like, are you crazy or something like that? And kind of, you know, yeah. that's that's a good table setter. This film will return to the motif of characters staring directly into or at the camera for great effect throughout it. But this extended opening scene, I really dug and was sort of into it immediately, which I know that you were not. No, you know what? I was like really with it for the beginning. And it start. I would say after like 30 minutes, it started to lose me. And I have the dumbest guy reason. And, and eventually I came fully around on it and was like, this is incredible. Probably one of the best things I've ever seen. But like my dumb guy reason why some of this movie started to lose me is like, I just don't really vibe with like dreamlike mm. shit in films. You know what I'm saying? I know some people really, and I'm I don't need shit to be like literal in all cases. Like obviously, we just talked about Raw that has a lot of like dreamlike stuff, and that's fine. I think this movie just meandered in it a little more than like my personal tastes enjoy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, there's like it's not always super coherent for the first half. Like there's a there's like a weird moment in the kid's house where he's like happy, then sad, and then mad, and then he's fine, oh, and then he yeah. runs, and it's like it's like it's like really kind of weird to follow. It feels like a dream where nothing makes sense. 
So anyway, dumb guy reason to not be super into the movie for the first half of it or so, but that's just what happened. But point B, I did really like this scene and it, it, the scene immediately after with his yeah, mom. I thought was I amazing. mean that was that's brutal. Where he does, yeah, he gets a gun, he gets a coat. They they hear uh, like a tanks or something approaching, and they kind of hide. And it's his first taste of what this war might actually be like and it's not enough to scare him off by the time he goes back yeah. his mom gets a sense of you know he he wants to join up he wants to get recruited and she's like you should just kill me and your sisters here now because if you leave like it's all you know it's over um a good uh, good I mean, instinct on her part but his yeah. uh fiora's kind of innocence and What's the word I'm looking for? Sort of like just misunderstanding of the world fundamentally at the jump. He's dumb. Yeah, idealistic, I suppose, is (laughs) is the word I was fishing for there. He's kind of got this idealistic sense of right and wrong, and Mm -hmm. there are bad guys in the war who are posing a threat to us, so I have to join the good guys so we can fight them. Obviously, never that easy, but when you're a a 12-year-old kid, you have this this sense that things are going to go different. I'm kind of watching this bit like, buddy, what did you expect was going to happen? But he he yeah. he has this morality instilled in him. And the officers do come and they do drag him out. And we get this sort of orientation sequence, basically, where there's this big camp in the woods that just all of the set dressing in this film is incredible. Especially these shots in the forests where these big, tall trees and... I think this mm-hmm. first scene is kind of they're doing the photo shoot, which is funny. The, oh, it's so yeah. good. It is so good. Keep, like them setting up this photo. Yeah, but there's just so many bodies packed into the frame, which again, a thing that we will keep coming back to in this film. But you just see all of these soldiers posed together. And it's, I think the intention of it is just like most of these guys are going to fucking die in the course of this film. <laughs> Yeah, and like the, there was a, a Speakma video about this I watched last night. Did you watch no, it? No, I didn't. Um, they pointed out like the lack of characterization in yeah. the film, which is like kind of an obvious thing if you just watch it, you realize. But I hadn't thought about it a lot in terms of just the sheer number of people and the way this film is like intimately looking at human suffering. It does like forego characterizing many people beyond. Uh, the, the the central protagonist yeah. of it, um, which I think is kind of interesting. That I don't I don't know what that says. It's just like it smartly assumes you got it. You don't need to meet every character to like feel empathy towards their suffering. Maybe that's mm. it. Maybe it just is like we don't have time to break down seventy people in this camp. We got to get going. But like it, it was interesting to think about like how many fucking people are actually in this movie. Part of it later on too with like the farmer and some of the officers are these guys that will just cross paths by happenstance and do this kid a single kindness. And then they're either out of his life forever or dead. And, you know, I think that's speaking to some of the points of the film as well. Or he wanders through and does like some petty crime. Petty. What was up with that? I was trying to think about, like, what is the point? There are two scenes of them, like, doing not <laughs> some not nice things to their fellow Belarusians. Look, and I was like, what is that trying to tell me? To, to drill it down, I think, to the most simple point, I'm going to go with war is bad and it makes people do bad things. 
I mean, that's what I thought too. But also, I was like, this movie feels like it's more complex than that. Yeah, so I was like, am I missing? Am I dumb? Am I missing something? Why is he just stealing from farmers for part of this movie? With the with the lack of characterization too, what this movie does just with physicality and human bodies overall is really compelling. The kids in this movie, of which there are a handful, are like real fucking kids, and when they're compared to other people or soldiers or whomever it is they look real small and there's no faking just yeah. that youth and that kind of physicality so it's like around this time when all the soldiers march out of the camp we meet glasha who's the kind of female lead for the first half of this film she's just a girl who like him has been left behind and they kind of get a little respite from everybody marching on they let him stay back i think to kind of guard the base camp basically and they have a kind of brief like childish moment of just hanging out and enjoying being in the yeah. woods together and that's where we get our first real taste of of the actual fighting in this movie and it's striking and one of the most visually impressive things i've ever seen i would have to say yeah and i i think the reason for that is uh quite simple correct like they uh they fucking blew up actual bombs yeah it, it like <laughs> it's it's a great <laughs> trick that they play so the forest is getting bombed by german planes you see them you see the shadows of them up in the sky and then you're getting these shots still shots of the forest you hear the sound design layered over of the bombs falling and getting closer and then yeah you just see they're like detonating mines clearly, but just these fucking explosions where you're meant to connect. Oh, bombs are falling from the sky, but they're just blowing up trees in sequence here. And it's like, look, I haven't seen it myself in real life, but it's shockingly lifelike and disturbingly realistic. AJ, they're real I bombs. <laughs> well, they're not. They're, I, I guess the thing is like the thing that I clocked pretty instantly is like, okay, they're not coming from the sky. They're blowing up mines or whatever. So that. Yeah. You know, as a as a cinema sins viewer myself, I clocked that. But I was like, <laughs> I just like it's it. hard to fake a fucking explosion, and they're not. Here's the thing. Yeah, that's very Christopher Nolan yeah. of him. He built a nuke. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. You couldn't make this movie today. You know, I gotta hate when fucker idiot fuckers say that about movies. Also, you could not make this movie today. Yeah, <laughs> you could only make this in the backwoods of Belarus in the eighties. It's it's they blow wild. up bombs. and then. Even through that, um, it just rolls right along to the disorienting, uh, he's deafened kind of plot beat where you're getting these shots from his POV and everything's blurred mm -hmm. and you're hearing these noises through distortion. And it's just this disorienting kind of soup of sounds and shapes. It's really like I gnarly. My my theory, you know, my uh my YouTube watch my YouTube video on it's gonna have a great That's thumbnail right. later, is even though the film never really says this because the sound does come back. My theory is the character is actually deaf for the rest of the. Uh, film. She she does say it um when she. Yeah, but that's at a point where it's like it's like peak dream logic yeah. that I'm like, I don't know if it's playing its hand where she says he's crazy, he's dead, he's deaf or yeah. something, and like. Maybe it's playing its hand, but I also am like, I do think he is deaf. I don't think he's crazy for the film, like she says in that same line. But I think he can't hear anything you for the remainder of the film. You sit with this, well, like literally 
state state of mm-hmm. shell shock for quite a while as you're yeah. treated to this like tinny echoing sound design and another consistent motif throughout this film is the noise of buzzing flies around whether they're like at the dinner table or by these dead bodies and it's happening here in the woods too this is kind of like the first point in the movie where i really noticed that like my entire body is just tensed up and there's like very few breaks from that and moments of relief because it just feels like things are going to continue getting worse um is it from here that they decide to go back to his village he's like okay wait a minute Mm -hmm. i realize that shit is pretty bad out here if we go back to my village, you can hang out with my mom and my sisters. They'll take care of you, and, and it's whatever. Yep. So they, they yep. go back to the village. Surprise, surprise. There's nobody there. And he is kind of like, there's this secret place I know where they're going to be. I think she puts together a lot quicker than he does. I, I get the sense we don't get a ton of kind of history or where uh, Glasha has come from, but I get the sense that maybe like she's seen more of the war than he has she feels a little Mm. bit wiser or worldlier than he does i think that's up you know obviously pretty intentional but this scene where he either doesn't get it or is in denial and they're running out of the town and there's just a quick glimpse but it's one of the i like was gonna say creepy i don't know just like most chilling shots in the entire film as they're running she looks back and there's piles of bodies behind this one house and it's like yeah i knew what i expected and kind of i knew that's where we were going but the the frankness of it is something to sit in okay so like i i don't want to i don't want to uh again cinema sense this too hard not not the bodies um the, but the whole logic of the scene was a bit weird to me. He goes to his home. There are flies everywhere and rotting food. He's like super chill. He like gets milk yeah. out for Sasha. Sasha's like, hey, it's a little weird. The milk is spoiled. But he, his emotions are really hard to track where he goes in. He's concerned, then happy. Yeah, there's then scared. Like he oscillates in just this weird manner. I could not put my finger on, and then is running. There's a and then in a bog, and it's like, where are you going? What is happening? There's a stew on the fire, and he realizes yeah. that like so. There's nobody home. He realizes that there's a stew on the fire. It's warm, so people were there not that long ago, and they're eating. I think she doesn't understand really what's going on, and then. It's something about seeing the kids' toys on the floor in a way that's like maybe they're not put away yeah. the right way or they're just – it like seems – I think maybe there's like a splot of blood on one of them or something like that. But that's the sort of indicator that things aren't right. And yeah, he runs off to this bog, which uh, – it's like, But like where is he going that he needs to jump in a bog? <laughs> like again, there's, I, there's, I there's an island – that's why they're at the bog. He he mentions, he brings it up that, like, there's this yeah. island that they would hide at or go to or something. I Look, I think the point of it is he's in pretty hardcore denial and is just That's presenting fair. things I just as think... true because he wants to believe yeah. that they are. I think that's fair. I think just, I don't know, it didn't land for me for whatever reason. And I feel like the, the more I try to, like, 
like uh, dissect it, the the more it doesn't his, matter. You know what I'm his, saying? Like the moment just didn't really work for his me. performance, which you kind of brought up before, and what this kid Alexei Kravchenko is able to do with his face is just like I've never seen anything quite like it. Where one hundred, he'll give these empty looks that then can sort of turn into a beaming smile and you sense the nerves and like fear and just like lack of i don't even know what the word would be like the emptiness behind those looks and and how he'll transition from that into crying or laughing or screaming Mm -hmm. some of those moments were the things in this film that really just kind of fully sucked me in and were like impossible to look away from so you want to know some crazy things about the actor i would love to as far as i understand it well this was his very first movie ever uh he did not plan on auditioning for it he went with a friend for moral support and the actor saw him i was like you're you're the kid because this movie took so long to make they had to recast oh wow uh this character because the original kid had gotten too old the second thing and this is this is not a fun fact but an observation from me if you look at the uh alexi who you know plays the lead in this film um no disrespect to the homie friend of the show uh, one of the most unremarkable white guy faces of all time, which just lends to how good of a performer he is, that he was able to create probably some of the most memorable facial expressions in film history. Because his normal resting face is just like, ah, it's just kind of a white guy. Kind of like me. There are, there are times unremarkable there face. are times when I could have mistaken him for a young David Lynch. That's the facial structure that <laughs> yeah, he has. Yeah. Uh, and, and Which David Lynch, not handsome. a terribly remarkable looking yeah, person. Guy. You know what I'm um, saying? Sure. So many of the lasting moments and shots from this film are just close-ups of his face. And when you watch it, you're like, oh, there could be a hundred thousand more of those. Almost anything he's doing at any given moment could be like an indelible moment from this film that you're like, well, you know. Remember this scene from Come and See? Yeah. So so part of the production where, you know, they kind of like brought out that real perform brought out their performance realistically is like this movie took nine months to film and it was filmed chronologically, which a lot of films mm. aren't. But the idea being they wanted, you know, the actor to be able to as closely as possible go on that mental journey. So it's like if you shoot one of the ending scenes first, they're just not going to be in the right headspace narratively. Yeah. So they shot it chronologically so that young actor could, you know, try to stay as close to that headspace as possible. Um, over nine months, I also think he had to go on an intense diet to become like more. He's gaunt notice- over noticeably time. skinnier by the end of this film. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also grade his hair subtly by the end of the film to make him look older. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, the, a lot of this comes from, by the way, the YouTuber Kino Corner. Oh, yeah, okay. Who I think is a popular YouTuber in the That's film awesome. world. Um, they have a really good video about the... Like, a pretty brief, but very, like, jam-packed video about the making of Come and See. I, I read that they used a hypnotist, too, to, like, try and get him in the right headspace <laughs> yeah. for this. Yeah! But, like, the kid was like, I, I'm fine. I can act in a movie. And I think, like, was 
the only scene that really bothered him because the actor was like worried he was going to go insane or some shit. Uh, the director was worried. Uh, the c- only scene that really like bothered him was the one in the barn, which uh, fair because it bothered, bothered me, me too. Uh, like after this, they meet up with the rest of his village and they're like, "Oh, buddy, everybody's dead. Sorry to tell you." They're, yeah. Is this where they're shaving his head right and they're making the Hitler puppet, yeah. which is uh, like the <laughs> yeah. only moment of brevity in this film? And I didn't quite realize what was going on at first because it's, again, another horrifying image of just a remarkably realistic human skull on a stick with a big SS officer's coat drenched over it. Mm. And then they start crafting Hitler's face out of mud and using his hair to make the comb over and the mustache. Then they strap grenades to him and they're like parading him around through the countryside. And I think like yeah. setting a trap for German officers, basically. It's a very strange weekend of Bernie's <laughs> sequel here in the middle of this movie. Like maybe the only funny line of dialogue in this movie is they're crafting his nose and someone's like, no, it's got to be smaller. Hitler has syphilis. And I was like, sure, I'll take whatever I can get at this point. Did he? Did Hitler have syphilis? No, his shit was, his also, shit was wait. fucked up. What is, what does syphilis do to your nose? It like starts to make your skin fall off, dude. People think that. Donald Trump has syphilis. That's why his face kind of looks like that. Like it's got little rat holes chewed out of it. Syphilis, like an STD, yes. right? I think so. <laughs> is this where they go steal the cow? It, it's uh, we're about there. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of this meandering moment with a few of the villagers. Two of them get blown. Oh up. my god! Wait, yeah. Pause. Then... We got to talk about. Petrol man. Okay. I did not know what was happening here at first. There's this body that's all black, burn marks, pink splotches, and then he's. That's how. Yes, guy from the beginning. That's what I thought. That's the note that I took Mm because he's got the mustache and Mm -hmm. everything. And he, with like his not even dying breaths, because he's just sort of tortured but alive is saying look i warned you what the fuck did you think was gonna happen they came through they killed everybody they doused me in gasoline and lit me on fire like this is the only thing that's out there when you get involved in a war like this yeah it's the guy from the beginning blaming fleoria um for digging up the guns which is like that's not true but like, he never shakes that guilt for the rest of the film that he was the one that caused that. Obviously, this would have happened whether he dug up the gun or not. But, like, it does uh, further destroy his headspace that he thinks he's the reason why all this happened. I didn't like it. I It was it was hard to look at. Yeah, I mean, they, they made that flesh look like, you know, when you put a, when you fire roast a turkey or whatever, it's crisping off yeah a a human being should never look like that no one man deserves to have all that fire jeez so that so then he's going through the countryside with some new soldiers it's kind of like this is one bit where it jumped around a little too much for me we don't really get any closure into like the village or even galasha who just kind of bows out of the story at this point i get that People yeah. go their separate ways and war drifts people apart, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a little too sudden for for my storytelling liking. Again, like I, I had become invested in their relationship and where that was going. And, and unless I missed something, I just like didn't get any sort of closure there, which probably the point. Um, 
This is when they start doing petty crimes. They go through, they knock <laughs> on, they knock on a dude's house in the middle of the night. They're like, "Hey, roll around in shit, and then walk your cow out into the middle of the field for us." I guess it's just kind of like they're, you know, hungry or need supplies or something. It's sort of that thing. This is why we have the Third Amendment, I believe it is. But it's like soldiers just can't come into your house and demand anything because they're soldiers, uh, which is. What it seems like mm. is kind of happening here. So it's that sort of thing of like, yeah. look, you're comfy living in your little house. You got to give a cow because we're out here risking our lives. Uh, back back the yeah. blue, baby. <laughs> and then uh, it doesn't work out. Look. They start. A lot of bad things happen to people in this movie. What happens to this poor cow is without a doubt the hardest thing for me to watch. Yeah, because it's real. <laughs> yeah. That cow literally got shot. Goddamn. That's a dead cow. Uh, yeah, they're going through a field, and uh, this is what this is when the lasers that we talked about beforehand. Yeah, they're blasting across yeah. the fields, looking like Star Wars. They're they're called tracer rounds, um, and these are real. They literally, dear listener, I don't know how to tell you. There's a 12 year old child laying in the grass, and not 10 feet above him are literal tracer rounds, which like. You you could see it in the film. These things are going miles. Yeah. Like it's insane. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're blanks. Well, I guess blanks wouldn't shoot across. It's not CG. It's not anything. They literally got tracer rounds and shot. You know, they don't make them like they fucking used to. And the, but a cow gets fucking the old, like the old cow. Up. The cow catches dies. a stray, and it's not like the cow explodes <laughs> or anything like that. Look, I like. There were a couple kind of fake out moments as they're going through it, and I almost started writing down like, "I swear to God, if anything happens to this cow." But then I was like, "What a fu- what kind of fucking mark am I?" Of co- there's a cow in this movie. The cow is fucking biting it, and yeah, the cow <laughs> the, the cow gets deader than blasted anyone. through the torso and then collapses. And it's not just like sad that the cow's dead. We get labored breathing from the cow. And then, like, close-ups of its eyes flickering shut as it expires. Brutal. Gruesome. Did not enjoy it. Fucking, they shot a cow for this movie. I mean, like, there's such a... You know, season 38 Mm -hmm. of this show is going to be... The animal torture episode? The animal... What a deep history film has. With animal murder all the way up into the 90s. You know, you watch Ebola Syndrome and they rip a chicken in half halfway through that film. And it's like, what were we doing to these damn animals? I mean, don't even get me started. Homeward Bound, they stuck that dog's face in a porcupine. I think the fucking flies come back here, too. It's just it's just no good. I'm not into it. I mean, they're building us up into like. I mean, at this point, we're going to the village, well. Well, right? there like, is there's one more moment that I want to zoom in on because mm, I think it's a really mm. great kind of like thematic statement of what the film is about. He's going to he decides after the shooting stops that he has to do something with this dead cow, so he goes and like there's a guy with a cart and a horse just picking up hay in the middle of this field and he walks over he grabs the horse by the reins and just starts walking away and the dude's like what are you doing where are you going with my horse and he says give me a knife or an axe i have this cow to cut up if you're not going to help me just like fuck off basically and they're going back and forth the guy's like "Uh, no that's my horse and then they hear germans approaching and it's like the flip of a switch the guy's like hide under this hay take off your coat put your gun away 
here's a kid from our village who drowned. This is his name. It's your name now. Here are your sisters. This yeah. is your mom. This is where you're from. Just that sort of thing of like, they're quote unquote on the same side, don't know each other. Like, it's just this kind of thesis of the film, I think, which part of it is like, what does it mean to be a human involved in a war like this? It's it's mm. the most grotesque atrocity of human creation uh, throughout history and kind of like everyone, whether they think so or not, are changed and affected by it. And that juxtaposition with how animals are shot or shot by the camera uh, and and guns as well, but like... There was a really clever way this film uses livestock and the pigs and the horses and the cows. They are also um, kind of byproducts and bystanders of this war and this conflict. And, like, things go bad for them and they're led around and they're dragged around. But there's a weird way in which it presents, or that I just sort of noticed, it in how it, like, presents the isolated imagery of those animals there's one cow one horse there's a scene later on with like two pigs and a dog they have this innocence that is not afforded in the same way to any of the human characters outside maybe like the children but if you're an adult in this movie in a way it's if you're an adult man especially there's like some accusation or you're not getting out of this thing totally kind of blamelessly free if you're a soldier in in this mm-hmm. conflict and i like i don't know how much of that was really kind of conscious and and designed by a way but it's something that stood out to me just like like all you know there are people in this movie who are worse than other people in this movie but all of the forces involved in the war are shot or framed in a way that does not absolve them of the blame and like shame of participating in a, a conflict like this did you pick up on any of that yeah I don't think so. It it was kind of like, you know, and I think, well, I think you did kind of actually thinking about it now where it's like they do those, they go steal that cow. They're doing those petty crimes. Oh, sure, sure, They're being rowdy. They're not acting in a civilized manner, essentially. Like part of that is just what sort of like furthered my understanding of the whole thing. There's one random and really distinct shot as we get to the village when the things that happen there are happening of a female German officer. I think the only one we see... And she is ripping apart a crawfish and eating it. Did you clock yeah. that? Yeah, I saw it. I was like, what the what fuck, the fuck was shit? that shit? And then, <laughs> and it, then went, it went away. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and you see her later and she dead. Yeah. And it's like, All right. oh my God, there's a part earlier on too where they're walking through a field and then it like starts raining glass bottles on them. And the guy mm-hmm. says, you know, they get drunk up there and we throw them back at them with like the multiple mm-hmm. cocktails. Fun yeah. bit. Um, yeah, B- bits that aren't fun. You want to you want to get us to the village? Look, AJ. All I knew about this movie going into it was traumatic, disturbing. Best, one of the best yeah. movie. Must one of watch. The best movies ever made. Yeah, uh, I did not know the specifics. All I'd seen were ex- images of this kid's face looking uh, fucked going up. through it. So I had literally no clue about this village sequence. Uh, sequence might be the wrong word. It's about a quarter of yeah. the film. I would say the hardest thing I've ever watched in a movie. Like, it, when you hear, this is one of the most disturbing movies ever made, you know, and Kojima tweeted 
that it was the most disturbing thing he did. This is literally yeah. it. It's this moment. It is, I mean, it is from a technical perspective an incredible bit of filmmaking, just like what they did here. Um, in terms of what is shown on the film, I was like, I had to take a yeah. break because I couldn't handle the assault on this village. Basically, you know, he, he briefly assumes this role of this child and goes to this village, but the Nazis are already there. Yeah, it's it's like they a have... slow build and burn to it, too, where they're kind of mm-hmm. milling about. And he's the. it's like heartbreaking the way he's the one who knows what's happening and is running around trying to yeah. warn people. And they're all like gathering. Yeah. And I think part of the thing both of us notice is like there are so many people on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent you a text. I was like, they don't make movies like they this don't. anymore. Where it's like, you know, these days you get like a third of the crowd you need, and then you just like Photoshop them into a larger crowd. Like, you couldn't do that in the eighties. Um, and so they they have like a, literally what feels like the amount of people you need for a small village, and then an entire squadron of Nazi officers, which means there are just hundreds of people here. Which is just like insane to consider the logistics of directing that many people, especially as things get heightened and there becomes so much going on that so many people are all doing at the same time. It's 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 insane. But like they go to this village, they gather in the house, they they're trying to like play nice with the Nazis. You know, they're offering them yeah. food and drink. And then the Nazis are like, Hey, cool, chill. That's great, love it. Uh, also, we need y'all to go get in this barn for a second, and that's where the flip switches. And it's there just are, like it's there over. are bits of like people trying to get their papers approved or like figure out where their kids are going. Just that like real build up to the moment, yeah, where everyone is like again, like cattle, herded into this barn, and you get you're in there with them because Flora goes in and it's people screaming and wailing and it's this confusion that turns into like an understanding of yeah everyone in here is gonna fucking die and it's brutal so so he crawls out of a window there's there's just a weird amount of this film where he does something in the characters other characters in the movie only barely pay it mind you know we see like them put other people back in the window and they climb out but he doesn't like i come over here bro um and then, like, I wasn't ready for what the movie showed after, you know, our, our protagonist was out of there. And it was just, you see two Nazis walk up to it and just throw grenades in the window. And, I like, I audibly, like, it felt like I got punched mm. in the stomach. It's, like, such a, you know, it's such a sudden moment. And it's, like, you immediately know what is about to happen to hundreds of people and like it, it like i i gasped yeah. <laughs> which is not a reaction i often have watching films to just like be that shocked that i have an actual gasp come out and then all hell breaks loose so like what what are the things they start doing with the nazis here that i think is really interesting and something i want to like circle back to talk about the belarusian army and this film is you know like we imagine um armies in films and I, I think the director even talked about this on one of the criterion special features you know the the uh, adventure films that war films have kind of become um not become they were then too this was in some ways like a, a reaction to that um you know we we have the hero army and maybe they maybe they're the underdogs but they're incredibly capable mm. you know what i'm saying like they're 
it's like a t- maybe it's only seven people up against 400 but they're all fucking john yeah it, well you know or if, if you, in, in one way or another it it removes their humanity and personhood yeah and and you know when you portray the nazis on screen often they're portrayed as a blanket evil fine that makes sense b incredibly capable you know like the nazis were very smart you know like we were still relying a lot of, on a lot of the science they did back then you know what i'm saying but this film also like takes a closer lens to these two armies the belarusian army is like literally their boots are falling yeah. apart like like you they have they're they're recruiting children you know like they you take a look at them and you're like y- y'all are fucking dead <laughs> like there's no no shot you're out of here and then the nazi army they're not played as like these cold killers you know ruthless and effective they show up at this village and get drunk as fuck like they just they're have a party people being rowdy they're, like just kind of they day off from work they're sh- exactly they're shown as animals which frankly makes this whole moment scarier in the escalation of its violence because like you can just put you know some some evil nazi type that you'd see in a call of duty and he's like cold mm-hmm. and ruthless and he walks through and he's like dead 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 whatever but like to see the joy on the nazi's face to see them you know drinking and while they have flamethrowers and are throwing molotovs the fact that they are getting so much fun out of this creates yeah. this like truly harrowing juxtaposition of the fact this is maybe the top 10 most fun they've had in their lives slammed up against some of the most harrowing screams ever recorded for in, a film in, as they are in another f- torturing their captives. In know? another film, they would be faceless and the camera would emphasize the guns and the flamethrowers and the action that they're doing on the poor, innocent people who are all humanized. In this film, yep. once you're in that barn, we don't see you again. We hear you. Like, yeah, and we see the barn itself being lit on fire and, and everyone inside crying out and wailing for help. But the faces and the people that mm-hmm. we're sitting with are the Nazis. And it, they're not even kind of like reveling in this is awesome. We're slaughtering a whole innocent village. It's just kind of like we're not out there sludging through mud, washing water out of our boots. We get to hang out and eat cheese and drink beer yeah. with our comrades and it's that you know humanity that is afforded to them that is kind of like un movies don't do that (laughs) Uh, yeah and i mean like the the thing your brain immediately bounces to is like oh uh, this is like nazis are real this is real you know like this maybe isn't literally real and but it's like this is based on how this shit operated this is based on an actual siege yeah i mean um we, it's, it's based on a book that the yeah. author of lived through the entire thing and then helped to like write and oversee this movie. And so yeah. details of like, people don't scream like that. They scream like this. And Nazis didn't do that. They would arrange yeah. you like this. All of that was informing the making of this film. And, and plenty of people who fought in or survived or lived through World War II have made art and things about it. But... It, it for a movie like this to be so like perfunct and profound and just like this is how it fucking happened is yeah yeah i mean i mean like and that makes this like easily without irony and separated from horror as a genre i guess 
like one of the scariest things I've ever seen in a film because it's like you watch it and if you uh, all you need to know is uh, World War Two is real and you watch it and you're like oh without like documentary footage of this this is probably as close as I'm going to get to understanding like how vicious this was you know and this film goes as far as like they burn the fucking village down like it's like I don't know they probably built it for the film but like they just like they have li- actual flamethrowers, which are incredibly dangerous, and they just are using them. They're burning buildings now. Obviously, there's nobody in the barn, but like the screens okay, just go on forever. But the doors are shaking from the inside, and the barn. I on wonder fire. how I, they. I was did just like, I, I wrote it down. I was like, how the fuck do you film this? Like, a first of all, how do you be like, yeah. hey everybody, welcome to work today. Um, we're shooting the scene where they burn the barn full of hundreds of innocent people down uh craft services is over there everyone you know put in your timesheets, all that sort of stuff but then the practicality of like the building's on fire people are still lighting yep. it on fire was somebody in there with the how doors on a rig doors? yeah like yeah. what the fuck how do we how make do we it as that? believable as possible that there are hundreds of people fighting for their lives inside of this barn jesus yeah. christ and uh it's incredibly effective it's easily the scariest shit i've watched because it's also 30 to 40 it's long long. like this is this is a huge chunk of the film is this village sequence and man yeah i like when it finally ended i paused took a break texted aj i was like we should stop doing this podcast (laughs) i can't do this anymore dude um and then uh went back to it and it didn't get any happier for me yeah i mean the jesus christ there's resolution and you know revenge or retribution or whatever this isn't a film that you feel good when it ends uh they've they've rounded up the german officers and they're kind of giving them this show trial they're like hiding under this bridge basically and they've got them all at gunpoint and it's like this is the guy who said if you leave the kids you can get out this is the guy who was in charge of the whole thing here's our translator it's pretty neat for this sequence how the German is subtitled and the Russian is not. I thought that was a really neat touch because there's yeah. a translator character. Wait. And it switches back. There's one character who can speak both languages. Um, so the, 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 the uh, that was different for me. Really? Wait, we both watched it on Criterion yeah. Play, yeah. right? So the German wasn't translated for me only when the translator yeah, it, said it's, it it's, in Belarusian. It switches back, kind of, um, back and forth. Okay, but you I hear Because there's that German officer who gets the sort of short little monologue where he talks about... Oh, right. Weird, like, yeah, okay. He's yeah. like, look, and, and this is a pretty insane thing in the movie, too, where he says, some people deserve, like, some countries don't deserve to exist, I think is exactly how he says it. But he's just yeah. like, look, this is what we believe. We believe that... We're better than everybody. Some people don't deserve to exist. And he's like, that's my life's mission. And that's what I'm going to do with it. And then so, yeah, they yeah. kill all these German officers. And I, you're like, great, happy ending to this movie. I feel awesome. Yeah, you, you're totally right. I had that wrong. It was it was uh, disorienting about the, about the, at first. About the, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, we... Yeah, but like also like this scene, there's this moment with uh, a female character, which I actually thought was Jesus Sasha. Christ, yeah. Th- uh, like the most disturbing um, shot in the movie we start getting these sp- yeah this diopter is, shots through here where the yeah this, this is a woman that we only see briefly in the village trying to i think climb on a truck to escape but like the nazis i think she might off. get out of the barn um, and they're at first like get back in there and then they're like yeah. no you know what you can come with us we're, we're they drag her into the truck i think which is okay gotcha um yeah she <laughs> i mean 
content warning. Wikipedia's Wikipedia summary makes the jump of of what happened to her, but she's repeatedly sexually assaulted. Yeah, it's like... I don't even know how to describe... She has blood dripping down the front of her body, under her dress, down her legs, and... From her mouth. She has a whistle in her mouth. She's got a whistle in her mouth that she's just blowing through, and then, like, nothing comes of that. She comes across Fiora and the other soldiers, she stops blowing on the whistle, and you just get, like, yeah, again, another one of the top five most disturbing shots in cinema history is just her, like, blank face with the background mm. of the whole thing, like, muddied out in this this diopter shot. And it's just like, yeah, again, this harrowness and this bleakness that however small the victory you can get of killing these German officers who raided your village, it's like, your life is is profoundly and, and un- uh, it's impossible to understate the ways in which uh, their lives are changed after this. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's no happiness. It's like it's like you get your res- resolution, but what did you really fucking mm-hmm. want here? Like, yeah, you you it, it it's over. Like your brain is forever yeah. shattered. Like just seeing one tenth of this in person would destroy you as a human. You know, like and our 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 main character is like he's shattered. He's done. Like, yeah, he at, just, at this like, point, he is completely detached from reality physically at this point he's kind of like just got layers of mud permanently caked on his face his his cheekbones are gaunt his eyes are sunk his hair yeah is like grayed there's like you know blood coming from his ears basically and like i think it's right around here i mean we we skipped over kind of the most iconic bit in the movie which is when the German soldiers take the photo with him where they're holding the gun to his head, that's probably the image you've seen. If you've seen anything from this movie, like that's the screenshot. Um, But that's a good kind of segue into the finale too. Like I did not know about the ending ending of this movie and it like knocked my ass out uh, because yeah, it says, Hey, just in case you didn't get the point of this film, here's a bunch of real footage from World War II. He, he sees a portrait of Hitler that we've seen before. It says Hitler the Liberator on it. And he just starts fucking unloading on this picture of Hitler that's floating in a river. Um, and as we see this, we're getting flashes of the real guy himself and, you know, Nazi rallies and everything. The footage starts going in reverse. It's cars driving backwards, um, buildings kind of being reconstructed as they're blown up. And it's like literally going backwards as we see Hitler getting younger all the way to little baby Hitler, which is like maybe where the original title of this movie came from, which was like, somebody should have fucking killed this guy. And if you had the opportunity to go back in time and kill baby Hitler, you should fucking do it. (laughs) AJ, I sat through this profoundly moving experience and the final shot of this movie my broken twitter brain went i would kill yeah if you could go back in time and kill baby hitler would you and i was like wait a second was that the point of the movie and then i considered locking myself in a room for the rest of my life for having such a dumb thought since since we've invoked it already uh a a film that i deeply hate uh that i couldn't stop thinking about watching this ending scene fucking goddamn jojo rabbit just uh, will continue to age like milk as as this is a film that i think only uh its profundity will grow which which is not how i wanted to close my thoughts on come and see by comparing it to jojo <laughs> rabbit but god jesus christ like what i think TD should be forced to watch this movie every day for the rest of his life is how i feel um 
I think this was my first Soviet movie. Yeah, I mean, and, so uh, there are parts of it too, the kind of lyrical and dreamlike sequences, something we didn't really zoom in on, but was like maybe my favorite bit of the entire film is that rain bath with the rainbows in the woods, this sort of vision yeah. of what life could be like if the war were not to exist is very, very of a piece with Tarkovsky. So if you've seen this and dug it, and haven't seen any Tarkovsky, like it's all there. Um, his, they were the the uh, Klimov and Tarkovsky and Klimov's wife, who I want to mention actually, um, Larisha Shapitko, who made films like Wings and The Ascent, were all kind of working together in this post-war Soviet movement, which you know is kind of we're doing a, a little mini examination of those films here. But um, so Tarkovsky had a few movies that came out before this, a few movies that come out after this, but they're all very of a piece together. And so when we discuss Stalker next week, I think you'll see a lot of resonance and overlap between these two. Um, next week or maybe a few weeks after, depends. Our guest has a scheduling conflict. We might need to push it <laughs> back if we want to keep our guest. We'll see. Okay. Uh, I mean, kind of a singular, profound film, but do you have anything people should check out? Absolutely, brother. Um, little, 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 little curveball. Yeah. Um, apologies if there are any Something Rotten fans in this who pay for the premium feed. You're gonna hear the suggestion, but I'm also just doing a lot of World War II stuff right now. Um, also, you probably hear me talk about Come and See on Something Rotten. Uh, it's Battles Without Honor and Humanity One. Yes, sir. The Kenji Fukusaku. Uh, Yakuza film um, I mean like without hyperbole one of the most important films that has ever come from Japan from one of Japan's uh, most important directors uh, lesser known over here compared to a Kurosawa or you know even an Ano these days but uh, the Fukusaku is the dude you know like he's the man these are this is the first of five Yakuza films that are um they are uh, uh, meditations and kind of attempts for him to rewrite history on both uh, the Yakuza, you know, before these films. Uh, we had the chivalrous Yakuza films. Um, this this took a more of a stance that Yakuza are not good guys. They're hmm. bad guys. They hmm. suck. Um, and he doesn't do it. As I, I think a lot of people act like he did it very like better than he did. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, but you watch him, Bunta Sugawara's character is like so sick. Um, so it's like you still do kind of like cheer for some gangsters. The point of all of this is, um, they're also direct responses to uh post war Japan, American interventionism into Japan. Um, the first film opens literally with a uh still image of the bomb that blew up over hiroshima the atomic bomb and so this is all kind of funneled into this you know wide-reaching yakuza story you know that you can just enjoy as a deeply you know full of yakuza politics shit like that if you've played the yakuza games watch these movies because this is literally what they have been ripping off for the last 20 years down to the character intros um but it also works as just like an allegory for fukusaku's thoughts on uh world war ii and japan and post-war japan um 
he was uh, not pro any of mm. them. I'd say not pro Japan, not pro war, not pro World mm. War II. Um, famously, he worked in a um, as a child. He worked in a facility that like uh, made munitions or something. You know, during the war effort, and a uh, a bomb hit it, and he lived, and he had to go around picking up his friend's limbs, and so. Uh, that should tell, when he got into making movies later, that should tell you what he thought about authority figures and uh, war. And Bad. So, Battles without honor and humanity, and man. That, there's five of those sons oh, of bitches. One of them, not very good. The other four. Okay, great. I was going to say there's a whole trilogy, I guess. I, the, the, there's a good box set. Yeah. So, there's five of them, and then there's the New Battles trilogy, which I have not seen any of the New Battles films. Um, but God, I mean, the, the first... The first two Battles Without Honor and Humanity movies are nearly perfect. Uh, four and five are pretty good. Three I do not enjoy. That so rocks. That's, that's a good uh, good wreck. For me, for little old me, um, another film that is probably on the Criterion channel right now, um, if you appreciate the sort of lyrical reflection on being a child during wartime, there's a movie called Spirit of the Beehive that the great band Spirit of the Beehive took their name from. That thing is really incredible if you don't want to deal with the harsh realities of war, but want to see how it can affect people. It's a pretty neat movie in that, you know, mm. the war. it's like almost kind of a, a childlike fantasy film. Um, Guillermo del Toro has cited it as like a very explicit inspiration on a lot of his stuff where you don't even necessarily know kind of the specifics of the conflict but it's just kind of like you're a kid during wartime there's an incredible scene where a kid goes and sleeps in a kind of abandoned bunker overnight and that's something that's going to stick with me for a while um and then one mm. of my favorite films of the past couple of years from scary terry terrence malick um a hidden life <laughs> which i was thinking about a lot watching this movie is also set during world war ii um, in a kind of Bavarian German village. And it's just about a guy who gets recruited to join the Nazis and says no. And uh, they destroy his life because he's a conscientious objector. And watching this movie, I was like, damn, that guy was onto something. Um, it's three hours long, full of very intense facial close-ups and shots of hay and people being like, you know, what's going to happen to this country if we let the Nazis uh, take control? Uh, it's insanely intense um barely got distributed i think they made like 10 copies of it on blu-ray and it played in theaters around the country for a week i was lucky enough to see it because i lived in beautiful new york oh. city um but you know if you can find that movie you should watch it uh because it's very intense and like will uh change your life for lack of a better term uh good fucking flick i was so much suspiria uh, I think there's Good some fucking flick. World yeah. War II allegories there. <laughs> At the very least, they filmed on some old Nazi grounds. That's right. They the fucking big square the remake and... is very explicit about that stuff. Is oh. it? Is it? Oh, God, I still haven't seen it, and yet I liked Guadagnino's yeah, last dude, film. The, like, God, I gotta watch it. The that remake is like, I think I think the first one kind of had a little bit of World War II allegory going for it, and the remake is like, here's what happened during World War II. <laughs> Um, yeah, also, re I recommend, uh, most films from Japan over the last 60 yeah. years, it feels do you like. Do you recommend, uh, Call of Duty World at War? Should people check that one out if they're looking for a, a nuanced take on World War II? 
I mean, here's the thing. Can I fit this in? Yeah. Right absolutely. at the end? We, we, we took a pee break. I'd say, I'd say, yeah, it has a nuanced take. It has an interesting take. It is an unexpected Call of Duty game. I also watched Come and See last night, and I was like, video games are a fucking joke. Why do we act like these are ever going to be... (laughs) I'm sorry if you're listening, Neil D., get over it. Why do we act like these are worthwhile storytelling mediums if, like, this is it? Like, I played one war game and watched one war movie, and it was a fucking joke (laughs) comparing the two. Like, it it was fucking, like, it was like, it was... I would literally get dumber if I even entertained the idea that a war game has even one one thousandth as is 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 one one thousandth as effective as something like Come and See. What about um, I've wasted about, my life what about writing the last about them. That's what I'm saying. Like not even it pales in comparison to most mid ass revenge films. <laughs> like, uh, and I love The Last of Us yeah. too. Don't get me wrong. But, like, you watch that up against even, like, The Villainess, which is, like, a popcorn revenge film, and you're like, it's, get it, you're, it's a joke. It's not even funny. It's a bad joke. Uh, yeah. More than likely, the next time <laughs> we appear in your podcast feed, we're going to be talking about Stalker with a very special guest. Don't want to don't jinx things. We'll yeah, see. I'm knocking on all the wood in here. Um, if not, we're going to pick a bonus episode. So we'll watch something new-ish. I, I have a few ideas uh, for what we could do. I want to watch a pink film. You want to watch porn? Softcore porn. porn. We'll think about it. You can watch porn with yeah, the bros. We did it that one time play called... <laughs> Dude, fucking... Uh, w- Let's watch WT is things. playing in the theater uh, at the fucking Alamo here pretty soon. Yeah. Okay, sign us off. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Come and I See, watch everybody. That scene now. Uh, episode. Thanks for listening to the Come and See episode, everybody. We will see you next week to talk about something. Um, so stay tuned to more great programming on Region Free. Thanks for listening. Give us five stars, like, and subscribe. Uh, bye-bye.